Father, we pray for the culture wars that are sweeping uh, throughout the Western world, but particularly strong in the United States, and particularly one of our bishops being at the very forefront of even a legal battle uh, over a decision to uphold your word and the authority of your word in the context of an educational establishment. And Lord, I pray for all the delegates um, and all those who will be discussing and trying to find ways in which to hold on to your word in a world that is consistently moving away uh, from it and becoming very antagonistic towards it. We pray that your grace, your wisdom would prevail in, in, in those challenging times. And we pray for that uh, insight that comes from above, from the Holy Spirit in this. We pray for the team from the UK, that you will protect them in their journey. You will give them good health so they can actually engage fully in what is happening. We pray that good, strong friendships and relationships with brothers and sisters from around the world would be formed. And we pray that they themselves will come back refreshed, encouraged, enthused, and they will bring a contribution as well to all the different committees and the different meetings that they will be part of. We thank you for bringing Esther here this morning. We believe that you have a word for us that you have given to her. We pray that she will be uh, in full freedom as she shares that which you've placed on her heart for us. We pray that she would feel at home. We pray that we would have attentive ears and receptive hearts. And we just thank you for the privilege of sitting under your word and listening to your voice. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you very much. Um, And I have to say as well, um, from uh, our family's friendship with you, Christy, over the years, what a fantastic pastor you have. Um, He embodies so much of this sense of wanting all of the gospel, all of scripture, all of God's promises for you as a church and a community and doesn't allow himself to get sidetracked with one thing or another. But he's one of the most open-handed leaders that I know of who wants you to flourish in your passions and the different directions that God wants to take you in um, while at the same time having this ability to hold all these things in tension. And so I just think he's fantastic. Um, So this morning, um, there's so many things that I wanted uh, to to bring, uh, but I kept getting drawn back to um, this story throughout my life that I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen it in yours, um, of wanting to walk well with God through the times when things are easy and the times when things are difficult. Um, So I've titled it Holy Dissatisfaction. Um, If you like to take notes and want to write that down. And dissatisfaction has a double S at the beginning because it's one of those words, isn't it? You go to write it and think, hang on. Um, And then single S after that. Um, So holy dissatisfaction, what does that look like? I would say that one of the verses in my life that I've always loved and I've always tried to hold to is from Philippians 4 verse 12. And Paul's writing this from a place of, um, you know, he's been prevented from traveling um, because he's been uh, incarcerated. And so, but he writes from this place of experiencing so many ups and downs in his life. So Philippians 4 verse 12, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. 
I have learned the secret of being content in every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And so having seen that verse early on in my life, it was something that I really wanted to hold on to. I didn't just want to follow God when things were good. And I also didn't want to only pray and cry out to God when things were going wrong. I wanted to know that satisfaction of walking with him in every season. And I can testify, I've definitely seen um, times of plenty and times of want in my life. Um, financially is one of the big ones that we would go to first. So I've known what it's like to be um, a, a poor youth worker. Me and my husband um, used to run youth work. Um, and at one point we were doing it sponsored by members of, of people in our church. So we had to measure every little bit of money coming in. And then we went on to be poor Bible college students. Um, so again, you know, you're kind of counting down all the pennies. Uh, but we've also had times as a family where uh, we've had good wages coming in. Uh, we've seen um, the, the, the abundance of God financially in our lives as well. Um, I've seen what it's like as well to be living in plenty in that sense of um, of family because I was um, blessed enough to meet my husband as a teenager and we got married when I was 20 and then we went on to have five children. Yes, five children. Um, so that is living in plenty in, in terms of our family situation. Um, but I also know what it's like to be in want because over the period of a few years, we went from being a family of seven to being a family of five because um, I witnessed, and I know many of you prayed for us through this, uh, but we went through the deterioration and the death of one of our children when he was eight years old. And shortly after that, the deterioration and the death of my husband as well. So that was a time of knowing what it was like to feel like our family was flourishing and knowing what it was like to feel like our, our family was under intense pressure and then obviously living through the loss and the grief that has come from that. And even now, as a family of five, as we are now, me and the four children, um, still bigger than the average family. And yet those gaps are very much felt on a daily, weekly basis and in many situations. I know what it's like to experience plenty when it comes to health and energy. Um, in my uh, teens, and Elspeth can testify to this, I did everything. I was everywhere. If church was open, I was there um, and able to be very busy doing lots of things. And even in my 20s when I had my children, and Joan can testify to this, she used to help us at our church in Morecambe, um, I would just be busy, busy, busy all the time and, and enjoyed that sense of being able to say yes and having a large capacity to do things. But I also have experienced what it's like to be in lack when it comes to health. So throughout, um, we had this incredible season up in Morecambe. That's why we were able to come and worship here. I think it was about 2009, because it was just before my final pregnancy when my, uh, my body kind of gave up by that point. Um, but we were coming here with our small children at that time. And we'd planted a church in Morecambe, and that ran for 10 years. And it was just incredible. We saw God do so much. But my husband was the pastor of that. Although I stayed on the leadership for the next three years, I eventually got to a point where I felt like I had to step down because my health was really struggling. Um, and unfortunately, a few months after I stepped down, other things in the church shifted and the decision was made after 10 years that that church wasn't going to run anymore. 
So again, I'd gone from plenty, busy, 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 ministry, lots of opportunities, things happening, to being in want, both in, in mourning for the ministry that I'd, um, well, as a family, we'd poured so much into, but also with my health as well. And I did get a diagnosis shortly after that of chronic fatigue, um, ME, as it's also known, um, which obviously was extremely difficult looking after four children and um, having some days where I was asleep more than I was awake, of having times where not you're not just physically exhausted when you have a condition like that, it's the mental exhaustion as well, struggling to remember things, struggling to hold conversations, struggling to think ahead and plan, all of which obviously are necessary when you have a family, and also when you're trying to still minister and help other people as well. So in the gaps between these two extremes, and you might be able to identify with some of these, or maybe you haven't had as much uh, going on in your life, I still wanted to cling to this sense of wanting to walk with God in all of it, of being able to find contentment in all of these situations, even when I felt drained and confused and ill-equipped and, um, and in shock a lot of the time. So... I didn't want to just try and put a nice Christian sticker on things and say, oh, I have everything that I need in God, which I do. Um, But I didn't want to ignore the difficult emotions, the difficult processes that I had to go through at that time. So I went to the Bible. I went to other things as well, good friends, people that had also been through grief and loss, um, some therapy as well that really helped to ask the question, am I handling this okay? Am I processing all of these things okay? And to actually learn what it's like to sit with contentment and dissatisfaction at the same time. Those things sound like they're opposite, but I think you can live a life holding both of those intention at the same time. Now, dissatisfaction can come in many different forms. And um, we see in the Bible there are times where people voice their dissatisfaction in a really negative and unhealthy way. There are times where God rebukes people for the way that they bring that dissatisfaction to the surface. And probably one of the most prevalent examples of this is the children of Israel when they've lived for uh, for centuries in um, slavery and God rescues them with with like these incredible wonders and signs. There's plagues, there's the parting of the Red Sea, there's the defeat of their enemy. And God tells them, you are going to go into a promised land and it's going to be incredible. But in the meantime, the waiting period while the children of Israel are in the desert, they complained a lot. They complained about lack of water. They complained about lack of food. They complained about the leadership. And very often God met with their attitude in a way where he rebuked them and he actually brought down his holy justice and judgment in that situation in a way that always makes me sit up and go, whoa, whenever I read through those parts of the Bible. But I'm sure that you've seen as well, if you're familiar with the Bible, that there's lots and lots of places where people do pour out their heart to God. Job is an incredible example of this. A man who had plenty, he was living with a large family and a large business and a large household and he was rich. And yet in the matter of almost in the blink of an eye, all of that was taken from him and his health as well. And his response to that was, the Lord gives, the Lord takes, blessed be the name of the Lord. Makes us all go, wow, 
How incredible that that could be his reaction. Thankfully, the book of Job is not just the first chapter with that one response from Job. He then goes on to have some very brutally honest conversations with God. He pours out his heart to God and he says, God, I don't understand it. Was it not living a righteous life? Why do you say that righteous men um, would prosper and that evil people don't prosper? Or at the minute I'm seeing it the other way around. God, why has this happened? God, where are you? I can't feel you or sense you in this moment. And not only in the book of Job, but we see throughout the Psalms and other books as well. There's a whole book called Lamentations. It's people pouring out their heart to God saying, God, I don't understand what's happening here. God, I can't see you at work. God, why is this happening? So we know from this that we are allowed to pour out our heart to God. It's biblical. God wouldn't have allowed these things to be in the Bible or he would have shown rebuke every time somebody poured out their heart. So what's the difference then between living this life where we allow ourselves to be, um, to feel dissatisfaction, but to do it in a good way? I think most of us wouldn't be here today, wouldn't have experienced the life we've experienced today if it wasn't for people in the past who had acted on their dissatisfaction, their holy dissatisfaction. The movement we've been talking about this morning, the Free Methodist Church, came from a holy dissatisfaction. So over 150 years ago in America, it was the constant question of why are we not just allowing slavery to happen over here, but why are so many of the most prominent slave owners Methodists and people high up in the Methodist church? Why are we discriminating between the rich and the poor? Why aren't we keeping the gospel at the center of what we do? And so those voices of holy dissatisfaction eventually got kicked out, but then they formed the Free Methodist Church to try and keep these things central. The same over here in this country, there was a dissatisfaction with churches that weren't preaching the gospel. They weren't preaching the whole Bible. And so people came together to bring the free Methodist church to this country as well. Our health system came from people that were dissatisfied. Why can't people have access to free health care? Our education, people said it's not okay that only the rich can afford to educate their children. So they used the dissatisfaction and they did something positive with it. Let's not get confused between that first verse that I read out about knowing what it's like to live in contentment and thinking, I want my life to be as easy and straightforward as possible. And I don't want any grief. And I just want to sit back and let everything happen around me. There is a sense that we are called to challenge and to change the world around us and to be honest with God about what frustrates us. There's this beautiful passage in Isaiah 58, verses 6 to 7. I mean, the passage is much longer, but I'm just going to read those two verses, verses 6 and 7. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. That's the kind of holy dissatisfaction we need to be walking towards. And we also see it in the life of Jesus, the way that he walked alongside people. He was close to his friends Lazarus, Lazarus, Mary and Martha. And when Lazarus dies... We know that Jesus knows that's not the end of his story because he tells his disciple before he travels out to see Mary and Martha. And yet when Jesus came alongside Mary and Martha, it says in John eleven thirty five that Jesus wept. 
He didn't say to them, where is your faith? He, he wept alongside them. And that is God allowing us to pour out our emotion towards him and with him. So how do we know the difference between a holy dissatisfaction and an unholy dissatisfaction? And because those words are both very difficult to keep saying, I'm going to reduce them down to two different things. How do we know the difference between a lament, which is us pouring out our heart to God, dealing with our negative emotions, our disappointments, the areas of our life that, um, that have caused us grief and pain? There's a lament, but that's different from a complaint. A complaint is the thing that God challenged people on and taught and, and came to them and said, it's not okay that you keep talking about things in this way. So in my relentless pursuit of making sure that I'm being handling things well in my own life, that I am grieving appropriately, but also not getting stuck in those places of grief, I've gone through and I've researched and I've listen to what other people have got to say about it. And there's six things I want to bring this morning. This is not an exhaustive list. There's probably more. And it, I wouldn't take it too um, specifically as well. These are general guidelines of things that I've seen in the Bible where, from my perspective, it seems to be the difference between a complaint and a lament. And the first one is this, is the direction of those words. So laments seem to talk to God, whereas complaints seem to talk about God. If you talk to God about the thing you're struggling with, if you pour out your heart in prayer to God and say, God, this really hurts, then what we're actually doing is we're still entrusting God with that thing. We're still coming to him as the source of the answers for that thing. As we're thinking this morning about fathers and, and that relationship with fathers, not one of us knows what it's like to have a perfect father. And yet with God, we can have that father relationship where we're allowed to come up to him and actually beat upon his chest metaphorically and say, this doesn't make any sense. I don't understand this. Why has this happened? This feels so incredibly unfair. Why do I have to go through this? I found in my own personal experience that if I've given the time to pour out my heart to God and be brutally honest about how I feel about things, that not only do I feel that increases my trust in God, that he can handle even the very worst of my thoughts, the darkest of my feelings, but that when I have poured them out to him, very often it's then given me space. Because when I've poured them out onto him, there's then a space there and he in return, can fill that space. He can speak back to me. He can bring that peace that I've been trying to generate under my own strength for weeks or months in this difficult situation. I can find a, a comfort that is beyond understanding or beyond logic. I can find joy in every single circumstance as well as the, the, that sense of dissatisfaction with what's actually happening. And if you look through the Psalms, you'll see that no matter how brutal and dark, some of the content is there. Every single time, they turn it to God. And that was the difference between the children of Israel. Well, when they complained, they actually said, where is this God that you've been talking about? I don't have food. I don't have water. I can't see our leader because he went up on the mountain. You've got to come up with something else for us. And that was when God said to them, do you not remember who I am? Do you not remember what I've done for you and what I said was going to happen? And that is why God shows his anger in the situation. It's not because of how they were feeling or their honesty. It's because of where they were channeling those feelings. 
The second thing that I think we can see is um, is about the circumstances that surround that complaint or that lament. A complaint very often focuses in on the circumstance. And it looks at the circumstance as the solution. So if only this thing would change in my life, then I would find satisfaction and contentment. It's looking all the time to earthly things as the solution. So it might even be praying, but the whole time it's saying, God, fix this, God, fix this, God, fix this. And actually, I lament what it says is, God, this is a mess. God, I want you to fix this because I know that you are the ultimate God. And God, I want you to be the focus of this whole situation. So please answer my prayer like this. But if you don't answer my prayer like this, I'm still following you and I'm still trusting you. Later on in the book of Job, in chapter 13, verse 15, he says this line about God, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. So Job poured out his heart to God, you know, why have you taken my health? Why have you taken my family? Why have you taken the riches that I had before? And yet he also said to God, if you took even more, if you took my life, I would still praise you. Are we willing to do that with the thing that we feel that we're struggling with and that we've lost? To say to God, God, it hurts. God, I want you to bring restoration. God, I want you to answer the prayer I've been praying for weeks or months or even years. But if you don't, you're still my God. I'm still following you. And if that takes to the end of my life and into eternity to find the things that I've been looking for here on earth, then I'm going to trust you. The third thing is about, are we self-focused or are we outward focused? Where is our focus when it comes to talking to God honestly? An unholy dissatisfaction, a complaint, is normally preoccupied with how something affects me in the here and now. What about me? What about my issue? What about my problem? In Numbers 11, verses 4 to 6, one of the many times where the Israelites complained to God, it says this, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat, but now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt, you know, back when they were in slavery. Yeah, we didn't have to pay for it. Uh, there was cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. Imagine wanting to go back into slavery just so you could eat onions. That's the point that they were at because they looked at this manna and went, ugh, is that it? Is that all we're getting every single day? They completely forgot that one day when the manna first appeared, it was the most incredible thing that they'd ever experienced. That food was just there right in front of them at no cost, no effort to them. All they needed to do was go out and gather it and bring it in. It had the exact nutrients that they needed for the exact amount of time they needed it for, for that day. They even got double on, a, on the day before the Sabbath so that they didn't have to go out on the Sabbath to collect it. And yet they could only see what was right in front of them. In that moment, they would have given up anything. Even the future generation, their children... They would have given up this legacy God had for them just to find the satisfaction that they wanted. But a lament, a holy dissatisfaction sees the bigger picture. It says, God, I'm really struggling with this and it hurts 
And I'm now wondering who else is struggling with this too. Is there anything I can do to help other people that are going through this? Even if I don't have a solution, maybe I can go and be alongside somebody else and we can go through this together and we can support one another through this. God, why have you allowed this thing to come to the forefront of my life? Is it because you actually want me to do something about it? Do you want to motivate me into action to change my situation, someone else's situation for better? So instead of looking at how we can make ourselves more comfortable in that moment and take away that problem, a, a lament asks, asks, helps us to ask ourselves, what is God doing through this? And how can I see God at work here through me and through other people in order to change the situation, not just for me, but for others as well? The fourth pattern that I think I've seen is to do with timing. How prepared are we to wait things out when we're not comfortable? I can hold up my hands and say that every stupid mistake that I've ever done, every, like my biggest regrets in life are because in that moment, I just got so frustrated with constantly doing the right thing that I just let something come out of me and I just went, well, you know what? Other people do this all the time, so I'm just going to do it as well. And I kind of hijacked God's timeline and went ahead and tried to grab hold of something or, or do something just out of frustration because I didn't want to wait. And we see this in the Bible all the time, that Abraham was promised a son, but it was taking so long to happen that he then created that situation for himself. Instead of having a son with his wife, he had it with the maidservant. And God said, but that's not what I asked you to do. Even Moses himself, who went on to lead the children of Israel, he kind of had a false start earlier on by going and trying to defend one of his people by killing one of the Egyptians. But that's not the way that he was supposed to be leading. And I think most of the time when we look at situations, it's us that's in a hurry to see change, to see things um, happen. But God is so patient. God uses the process. He uses the process of discomfort in our lives to achieve far more so that when that thing comes, when the change comes, when the answer to prayer comes, we're more ready than we would have been if we'd have had it immediately. And God calls us to wait to trust very often to see things through instead of giving up walking away and saying well I prayed for it and it wasn't answered instead of saying why isn't it happening right now our prayer should be God I will continue to pray and wait for this for as long as it takes and if that requires days weeks months years I will continue to be faithful to you the fifth thing I think is gratitude a complaint forgets that what we have now, often the thing that we're struggling under the burden of right now, is something that once upon a time we prayed and hoped for. So in my situation, I know there's been many times where I thought, oh my goodness, solo parenting four children is not an easy thing. But if I lose my perspective on that, I forget that these children are a blessing from God, something that we wanted from God. Even the pain of going through ministry was all things that as a family we prayed for. We want to be able to minister. We want to be able to serve. And that means that everything that comes with that, the highs and the lows, the success stories and the disappointments as well. And the children of Israel, they forgot what God had already done. And they forgot where God was taking them to as well. All they did was they saw this manna and they went, ugh. They forgot that manna was a miracle. And they began to look at other things instead. 
So when Moses spoke to the people, he constantly reminded them, God did this, God's done this. He goes on and on and on about these miracles. And some of this, some of this is 40 years on from it, but he brings it back all the time. Never forget where God's brought you from, what he's done in your life and what he still wants to do in your life. And the final thing that I know that I wrestle with and I think makes a difference between a lament and a complaint is comparison. Where do we get our reference points from about whether our life is going well or not going well? What we think we ought to have or what we don't have? Often it's because we're looking at other people. How come they're coming up to their 25th wedding anniversary and I only got 15 years with my husband? How come their kids seem to be flourishing in this way and mine are struggling with this, this and this? How come their ministry and the energy they have to do their ministry just seems to keep going and going and mine just seems to keep fluctuating and and stop starting? Whatever it is in your life that I think that, that, that loss that you feel or a gap, something that you had and lost, something that you've never had and you've always wanted, it's often because we're feeling entitled to that thing because we can see that other people have it. And can I tell you who I compare myself to the most? It's not even other people. It's the past version of myself. The past version of myself who had the complete family, who had the energy to do things, who had this incredible optimism because she hadn't yet seen some of the brutal blows that life was going to deliver to her. And sometimes I look at the previous version of myself and I'm like, God, why can't I still have this? Why can't I still do this? Why has this been taken from me? But actually what I need to do is come back to that original verse I talked about and go, wow, I saw God in that time. I can see God in this time. There's going to be future things coming up that I'm going to see as well. And to stop looking for my reference point to other people and past me. So where do we look instead? I think the laments we see in the Bible come back to what God has said about himself. It's holy men and women looking at the word of God, looking at the promises of God and saying, God, I know you're good. I can see in your word it says that you're good. But right now, I can't see where your goodness is in this situation. God, I know that you said that there would be a great fulfillment of your promises. But right now, all I can see is the opposite of that in my life. Not, God, why does she have that and I don't? Or God, why have you never answered this prayer? It's actually coming back to the source again. God, because I believe that you said this about yourself, because I believe that you have promised this to all your people, which includes me, I want to stand on that. But I do want to ask you the tough questions of how, how am I not seeing the outworking of that right now? Even some of the most faithful people in the Bible, like John the Baptist, who before anybody knew who Jesus was, stood up and said, here he comes, he's the Lamb of God, he's going to take away the sins of the world. And everybody went, what? So he had this incredible faith for who God is. And yet, when he found himself in prison knowing that his head was being asked for and that he could die at any moment, he still sent a message through, not to everybody else, but to Jesus himself saying, are you really who I think you are? Is it really you? Are you really him, the one? And that question, I don't think that was John the Baptist in that moment, suddenly doubting everything that had gone before him. I think it was him saying, I've poured out my whole life for this. And I know any moment now I could die for this. I'm just going to check one more time. Are you real? Are you in this? Is this worth giving my whole life to? And he went to the source of the answers instead of elsewhere. That gives us 
permission to go to God with anything at all. To keep coming back and saying, God, I want to see the promises in your word. I want to see the fulfillment of what you've spoken over my life. And I'm going to keep coming to you with my pain, with my honest, raw emotion, because I want to see you at work here. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to pray. And I want you to think about areas of your life where you have experienced deep dissatisfaction. There might be circumstances that you have been through which are quite obvious to the people around you, the the pain and the disappointment and the frustration. But we all also carry other things, private disappointments, private desires and prayers that maybe we struggle to put into words. Maybe we've not even been honest with God about them. And this morning right now, I'd love us just to lean in to what God wants to say to us about these things. So Father God, as we focus on you this morning, help us keep our eyes on you. We want the direction of our heart's cry to be you. Not to look elsewhere. Not to ask for things circumstantially to change in order to find that fulfillment. But to get our satisfaction and our answers from you alone. God, forgive us for the time where we've made it all about us. Where we've focused in so much about the thing that's been in front of us that we've forgotten about the bigger picture of what you might be doing in us and through us to the other people that we need to invite into these painful spaces so that we can grieve and discover alongside one another. God, forgive us for our impatience, for the times where we've wanted to give up doing the right thing because it doesn't feel like it's making a difference. It doesn't feel like it's leading to solutions. God, I pray that you would pour out through your Holy Spirit the gift of patience on our lives. The gift of tenacity to hold on for as long as it takes to see your hand at work in this situation. Lord, if there's areas where we've forgotten to be grateful to you for what you've already done and what you've already promised, I pray that you would prompt us again. Holy Spirit, come and speak to our hearts right now. Remind us of what you have said, of what you've said through your word, what you've said through other people, what you've said to us through different circumstances over the years. Just bring those promises back to our heart and mind. And help us to focus in on them right now. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would keep our eyes focused on you. Keep our eyes focused on Jesus, what he did for us what he brought us through, the victory that he empowered, that he, that he won and he empowered us with. So that instead of looking around for the things that we want, 
that other people have. Instead, we look at what you have won for us, what you have given us, that we're willing to trust you through anything. Holy Spirit, keep us in step with your word, that God-breathed, life-changing word. That word which is never shaken. It doesn't depend on circumstances. It doesn't depend on our feelings. But instead, it will keep us all the way through to the end. And God, I thank you that you didn't promise us lives that were perfect and easy. And then we didn't see the deliverance of that. But instead, all the way through your word, you assure us that whatever we go through, that there will be difficulties and that you will always be with us. God, help us not to search for a life without dissatisfaction, but instead to search for a life that brings meaning and purpose out of every single circumstance. That whatever we're feeling, we can use that to get closer to you. We can use that to get motivated to see your kingdom come here on earth, to be agents of healing, agents of bringing truth, agents of justice, to care for one another because we can see the injustices and the pains that are around us. And God, help us to fully lean into you, to trust you for everything that you have for us, to be honest, to be vulnerable, and to deepen our understanding of you as our perfect heavenly father through all of these things. In your name, Jesus. Amen.